Amen. Good morning, church. Why don't we all stand to our feet if you're able, and we will get interns to some worship with our God. Forever, author of salvation, 
that we can come here this morning and just ask you to just bring us closer to who you are and to lay ourselves down before your cross. And we just thank you that we can just enter into your presence, God. We just ask that we bring you more than just petty words, God, that we just bring you more for you are worthy of music. When the music fades and all is stripped away and I simply come longing just to bring something that's a word that will bless your heart I'll bring you more I'll bring you more than a song for a song in itself is not what you have required. You search much deeper within through the way things appear. You're looking into my heart. I'm coming back. I'm coming back to the heart of worship. When it's all about Sorry, Lord, for the thing I made it When it's all about you It's all about you, Jesus King of endless words No one could express 
together it's all about you it's all about you Lord it's all about you it's all about you about you Jesus it's all about you it's all about you I'm coming back to the heart I'm coming back to the heart of worship when it's all about you. It's all about you, Jesus. I'm sorry, Lord, for the thing I've made it when it's all about you. It's all about you, Jesus. Because you were forsaken, I make 
Joy to honor you. 
may be seated. At this time, would the ushers come forth to take the offering? If you're new here, don't feel obligated that you have to give anything. It's something that we do as a church family to uh, give back a portion of what we get back to God. So as we pray, just let that sink in. Father God, we just thank you that we can uh, just give something back to you, God, that, that whatever it is, whether small or large, that it is a portion that, that you deserve. And we just ask that uh, you bless us based off of our offering. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Can I get you to check in on Mr. Gonzalez before you take off? He's the older gentleman who had the punctured lung. We're hoping to release him. I can't. I got to get to my son's music assembly. Just, uh, I don't know, just tell him something came up and I'll come back tonight and check on him. Actually, his family's all here expecting to take him home. I told him you were just down the hall. Please, it'll only take a minute. You told him what? I assumed it would be okay. I thought you'd be right in. Oh, you thought? And where did you learn to think? Certainly not some two-year rinky-dink nursing school, that's for sure. Can we just take a moment and hug our medical professional people here in the congregation and let them know we love them and appreciate them? Yes. Where did you learn to think? Anyone ever been in a situation like this? Or it was just, it was like a zero on the converse, conversation emotional meter, and it jumped to 10. Now, if you're Nurse Bonnie there, if you could be her, what's the very next thing you would say? And some of you are like, Pastor, I can't say that in church. <laughs> I shouldn't even be thinking that in church. Are there moments in our lives where these, these tiny little windows where what we say, how we respond is far more important than all the other moments? Are there moments like that where, where what you say or what you do could have profound implications on everything that follows it? Are there a few moments in your life that matter than all the rest? And over the course of this month, we're going to be doing a series called Crucial Conversations. And we're going to be continuing on through the book of Mark. And there's a gentleman by the name of Joseph Grenier and his researchers. Over the past 20 years, they've identified three things, three dimensions that they would say when these three things come together in, in a conversation, 
It, it creates this dispor- disproportionate effect uh, on, on the durability of, of, say, your team environment, on your marriage relationship, on, your, on, on just plain every relationship. How you handle three, three dimensions, let me show them to you here. Opposing opinions, strong emotions, and high stakes, when they all come together in this perfect Bermuda Triangle effect, how you handle, how you respond in those moments has this enormous effect moving forward. So when strong emotions, which we saw in that little video there, high stakes and opposing opinions come together, it could have these lasting implications moving forward. They could be very, very different. We're going to be going through the book of Mark, especially chapter two over the next couple weeks. And we're going to be looking at how the master how the light, how he responded when these moments came and what we can learn from him and how those moments carry long past that actual moment. Now, let's just say you're Nurse Bonnie in that situation you just saw on the, uh, on, the, on the screen there. How many of you believed that how Nurse Bonnie responds in that situation will have impacts on, a, on her satisfaction of her job going forward? Yeah, I think a few of us, how she responds. What about patient safety? What about trust in the entire team? Because what's going to happen, and we all know this because we've been in similar situations, people are going to talk. Did you hear what the doctor said to Bonnie? And it's going to permeate, isn't it? So how's the entire team going to be affected? You think they'll be affected? Absolutely. Now, this can get even more complex. What about the doctor's job satisfaction? Could this conversation come back to haunt him? Absolutely. And see how that plays out. It's going to have a huge effect even on him. And he seemed to be the one who just took the conversation from zero to 10, just, just like that. Can you just take a moment? I want you to think about somebody that you have negative feelings towards, okay? Now, if they're beside you, think of someone else. <laughs> and no pointing, just think, okay? No pointing, just think. Just take a moment and think. Take a moment. There's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with the fact that we have concerns with other people. The challenge is what? How we handle them. That's the challenge. So the very first idea, the thing we want to tackle, and I think it's going to be very helpful, because I think a lot of us, when we've been in these situations, when the stakes are high, we perform our worst. Would you agree? And I think over the next two weeks, you're going to go, man, I am just going to take copious notes because what Jesus has to say in these situations, it's going to have profound effects for you in your marriage, in your relationships, in your workplace, with your boss, with your in-laws, with everybody. Talk about being practical on a Sunday morning. But here's the thing. Here's the big idea here. Anytime you find yourself stuck in a chronic problem, in a problem that just keeps repeating, Ask yourself, is there a crucial conversation that needs to take place? 
Or how could I handle that crucial conversation a little bit better? Or what crucial conversation are we not holding well? And sometimes a conversation like you saw here, it can go from zero to 10 in like three seconds. And you don't have time to have that prepared comeback. You don't have time to think. You don't even have time to respond. You come up with something good like three hours later or three weeks later. Or what's our tendency as proper good Canadians and some of us Christians on top of that? What do we do in those high-stakes situations? Nothing. We just limp back. Then there's a few of us who are like, man, I'm going to have chutzpah. Those situations come. I'm going to speak candidly. And you're just as guilty as the person who lost it on you, thinking that, no, I need to step up and speak truth, and you speak it so badly that it just creates a whole tidal wave, a ripple effect in the wrong direction going forward. So we're going to look today at a high-stakes story. We're going to go to Book of Mark. We're going to talk a little bit and see a little bit about what Jesus did, did in Mark chapter 2. Very famous story. You can probably figure it out if your eyes were open when you came into the auditorium this morning. Mark chapter 2. A few days later, bless you, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. They gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door. And he preached the word to them. Some men came along, bringing to him a paralyzed man carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it, and they lowered the mat the man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, Why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts, and he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier to say to this paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat and walk. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat and go home. And he got up, he took his mat, and he walked out in full view of all of them. Of them all. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, We have never seen anything like this. So we got this intense scene in this crowded house. Luke, uh, Luke's gospel carries a parallel story. It tells us that there were religious scribes and Pharisees in, in this place watching what's going on. So you got your big theological heavy rates, and we got this guy with his friends. Incredible friends. I mean, these guys must have loved this guy on the stretcher. Would you agree? And, th and they're not even turned off by the crowds. I mean, I'm sure some of the crowds are like, get lost. What are you doing? Go away. There's no room for you here. That didn't deter them for one second. These are real friends. And so they somehow get up on the roof and, and they start vandalizing the roof. I mean, these are real friends. You know real friends when they'll go tag a building for you with spray paint. Those are, no, but uh, real friends, they're doing this. They vandalize the roof. They're digging through the roof. The Greeks, if you translate it, it says they unroofed the roof. 
And even if that man hadn't been healed that day, he has something that a lot of us don't have. And that's great friends. And those friends, they also have great faith. Do you think if those friends did not think that Jesus was the only hope for their friend that they would have unroofed the roof? No, they believe it right in their gut, right in their soul. We've got to get our buddy to him because he's the only hope for him. Do you have faith like that? Do you have faith like that? So what happened in this paralytic's life was because of two things. First of all, he was loved by his friends. And we see that so well in this story. And secondly, his friends believed that the only hope in all the world was for his friend to meet Jesus. And when you believe this much about Jesus, your faith becomes persistent and you'll unroof the roof. Matthew chapter 11. There's a very strange verse there that gets misinterpreted all the time. But let me read it to you here. It says this, From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has been subjected to violence. And violent people have been radiant. Let me read it again. For the, from, from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has been subjected to violence, and violent people have been raiding it. You could really easily misinterpret this verse. And it's not talking about you and I grabbing swords, and you can see how some actually interpret it that way, and go and slice and dice people in, G- in Jesus' name. It's talking about how badly do you want God? And when you want God so bad, you will ferociously and violently pursue him. And that's exactly what these guys are doing on the roof. They are digging with a fury. They are digging with passion. They are violently, persistently digging to get their friend to Jesus because they know that the only hope for, for a change in the paralysis of this world is for people to encounter Jesus. And they go to some legendary creativity. Do we really believe here today that Jesus is the only hope for our friends? And if we believe that, then that's the way we're going to be. We're going to be like them. And so for those of us here, even where we live is not going to be dictated by the schools by the neighborhood, by the who's who, by the assets it might be, by whether we live in a home or not, where we live is going to be dictated by what? Am I in a place where I can point people to Jesus? Are we preaching? I'm not saying you have to like it. I'm just saying we're preaching. Let's talk about another one since I'm already on thin ice. What about Sunday mornings? Are Sunday mornings more like that Capernaum house where we fill it up and we cater to maybe the religious? In fact, oh, I won't go there yet, but in fact, perhaps we've made some of our church and religious stuff so uncomfortable and that, that, that the outward community, the community on the outside, they can't even get near the house. They can't even get to Jesus. 
How many of us, even the idea of inviting our friends, say, to a service on Sunday morning, it's, it's like, that's like step 40. There's, there's no way, there's no way I would invite them here because of all the barriers involved. I mean, it's strange enough that we sing corporate songs. That's kind of weird in our society. And then, and then we pray prayers. That'd be, that would like freak my neighbor, my friend out. And, and I never know, like, I'd come if such and such a musician's playing, but if they play that other stuff, uh, right? And then worst of all, they got to listen to some guy get up there with this Eastern European humor that nobody gets. And people sit down, they stand up, some wave their hands. That's like step 40. And I know for a lot of us, even the idea of talking to someone about spiritual things has never, ever happened in our lives. Because we're just terrified of how they may respond. And so I keep asking myself the question, and I think about it a lot. I want to remove every one of my preferences that I think are all so important and make it as easy as possible for my friends and my neighbors to get to Jesus. Would you agree? And that's hard because a lot of us, all of us, have preferences, things that make us comfortable, and we don't realize it. We've crowded the house. We've made it difficult. we made it so difficult. I know some of us, in order to get our friends to Jesus, we've gone to ridiculous lengths of creativity outside of this place. If there's any place where everyone should have access with availability and convenience, it should be Sunday mornings. Yeah. Man, man, oh man, oh man. Yeah. The real paralytics in Capernaum that day were the religious people. And the religious people, instead of having a love of faith, there's this critical spirit. And Jesus knew what they were thinking. You see this in the text. That's pretty amazing. He could see into their hearts. He had this advantage of knowing what it was like to walk a mile in their shoes. He could actually see that. And he's so calculated in what he says because he knows the crucial conversation is about to happen and this is this has just become a crucial conversation what what are the three dimensions again high stakes strong opinions opposing emotions and it's 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 you got a room a cramped room full of it all it's gone from one to ten why does it go from one to ten by the way See, when I was growing up, especially in the church, there was this phrase, and, I, and when I went on several missions trips as well, the phrase went like this, empty stomachs, empty, empty heads. Have you heard that phrase? No, okay, you're all hungry because that's why you're not thinking, okay? <laughs> Under, understood, understood. But the idea is this, you've got to meet people's physical needs first before you can meet their spiritual needs. So for me growing up, especially around my friends who didn't attend church or didn't like the church, the thing is, okay, what should the church be doing? The church should be feeding the poor, providing uh, out-of-the-cold shelters. By the way, if you stay here overnight, that's where you'll end up. Um, uh, The church should be providing after-school programs. The church should be 
doing those things, uh, taking care of the poor, taking care of the elderly. That's what the church should be doing. But keep the Jesus stuff off to the side. Have you heard this kind of? Yeah? If you go to Africa, you do like the well repairs, bring clean water. But no telling people about Jesus. Just, you know, and even in our school systems, I've talked to some of you who have been professors, you're not allowed to tell people about Jesus unless they ask. And there, but there's this idea. No, do the social justice stuff. Nobody cares about the Jesus stuff. Keep that just out of the conversation. Now, if we were to ask that man who's being lowered down from the roof what the higher priority at that moment was, what do you think he would say? Let's find out, shall we? All right. Hey! Hey! Come on, this is awesome. <laughs> hey, you got some great friends. Thanks, friends. I, I know you heard the conversation, Mr. Capernaum paralytic. What is it you want today more than anything else? To walk. Okay, that didn't go like I was hoping. <laughs> to walk. What does he know? He's just a dummy. (laughs) Now, here Jesus is, and they've unroofed this roof. They've lowered this guy into this crowd of people. The stakes have never been higher. And what's his response? In verse 5, it says, son, your sins are forgiven. Quick survey, if you're the paralytic or the paralytic's friend, you find out there's like a holy miracle worker in the neighborhood who can help your friend. You, you, you got to go around a crowd, get up on the roof, dig out the roof, lower your friend. A lot of work there. Would you rather have their sins taken care of or healing? Healing, right? Of course you do. I mean, some of us grew up on traditions where we could actually go to different holy men or whoever, and they would absolve you of your sin. You're, you're, you're forgiven, my sister. You're forgiven, my brother. Go in peace. Go in peace. What's the problem with that? You can't see it, right? You can't see it. How do you even know? Especially when we read our Bibles, there's only one person who can forgive sins. Not a priest, not a pastor, not a holy person, but God and God alone. But more than, I don't know about you, I like seeing physical things. So I definitely agree with our friend, the paralytic, of want to be healed. Because how do you even check if someone's had their sins forgiven? In the scriptures, like I say, yeah, I mean, only God can do that. We want the miracle, don't we? I mean, authenticate yourself, Jesus. Do something. And you and I, 
We're going to leave here today, and we're surrounded by our friends and our neighbors and everyone else, and some of them probably even question why you're here this morning. And there's this huge need they all have, and most of them have never diagnosed it, and it's a far more important need than being healed of cancer, being having limbs regrown, It's the most important conversation, the most crucial conversation you could ever have with someone and help them diagnose the greatest need in their life. And it's forgiveness of sins is only something that God can give. And we can read this story and we go, you know, that's a great story. You know, and if I was like Jesus, God, and I could actually like see people's hearts, that would come in real handy when those crucial conversations were coming, wouldn't it? I'd be able to like ask, oh, look, so-and-so's thinking this in their heart. I'll say this, then they'll respond this way and go on my way. But you have the number one answer, the most important question, the most important thing that you can always respond with. No matter what, when the stakes are high, forgiveness of sins is something only God can give. It's the most important thing we could tell anyone and everyone because we know, because the scriptures tell us that one day we're going to stand before God on judgment day. And there's going to be a final judgment and there's going to be a verdict that he's going to give and only God alone can give that verdict. And this is a staggering story here in Mark. And what's so staggering about the story and what Jesus says to that man as he's dangling there is that you can experience forgiveness of sins today. Not at the end of your life, not at the judgment seat, but today you can receive forgiveness. And that just messed with everyone's paradigm, threw them right upside down. So I got a question for you today. Have you had Christ say to you, my son, my daughter, your sins are forgiven? Do you really love them? Do you love your family? Do you love your friends? The people on your block? Your coworkers? the doctor or dentist? Do you love them? What did he come for? That they might all be forgiven. Go have that conversation today. There's not a more crucial conversation you could possibly have. I hope in these upcoming weeks where we're going to unpack and talk more about how do you practically in a godly way respond to those high stakes moments as we journey together, can just keep getting deeper and ask tough questions. One thing I want to encourage you this week, if you have a scenario or a story you'd like to share, we'd love to hear them. I'm not saying we'll put you on video, but we'd love to get some of your questions and and capture them and be talking about them these upcoming weeks because this is stuff that's holding us back, perhaps holding us back from encountering, having opportunities to help someone encounter the real Jesus. Let's pray. God, I want to thank you. I want to thank you that we have this book in your word and that its words are alive and active. 
And I'm sure even when we watched the video this morning, a lot of us thought of that person we have negative feelings about, or those situations in my mind's eye where, oh, if I had only handled this differently, or, or maybe even right now, we're keeping a list. And there's somebody who just keeps wounding us, and we have no idea what to do, how to respond how to respond with the baggage of being a Canadian Christian. How do you respond politely? How do you respond in a way that just doesn't cause extreme duress? And some of us are just sweating and stressing over those things right now. And God, I, I know your word and your son came to free us. Free us from those anxieties. Free us from those fears. And show us how to live the best kind of life. And God, I pray for anyone here who has not met you, who has not experienced the forgiveness that you came to bring. I pray right now, right today, that they would just open up their hands, open up their arms, and say, God, I know I've fallen short. You've diagnosed my heart, and I'm in need of your life change that can only come through the forgiveness you provided on the cross. God, forgive me of my sins. That's the healing I need now more than anything else. God, we know just a little while later, that paralytic would have finally died, even though that his limbs grew back, even though that his body had made sure, even though he would have been able to take up that mat and walk home with his friends. How glorious that would have been. How amazing that would have been. But the greatest thing, the most important thing, was that for all of eternity, he experienced, um, he got to experience that with you. Because he, the more important thing was that he received your forgiveness that day. And it transformed his life forever. We thank you. We thank you for these stories. We thank you for your son's perfect example. Um, help us to be more like Jesus this week. Help us to be more like those friends this week. Give us the right words to say and help us to trust you in all situations. In your precious name, amen. You know, as we were, uh, as I was preparing the plan for the, this morning, um, I was actually suffering with a severe ear and sinus infection. And when I was reading Pastor Joe's notes, like, it really hit home because I'm like, oh, you know, I can, I can resonate with this message. I, can, I get where, you know, for somebody who like, has a small problem like an ear and sinus infection, it's like getting into the mind frame of what, what's, you know, what's the message going to be for this morning. And so this last song that we're going to sing together talks about the commitment that one makes to not only be forgiven by God, but also to you know, forgive others, um, to basically abandon oneself to, to Christ. And uh, the song's called Absolutely. And um, I encourage you as we sing this to make it a conversation between you and God and not so much so as normally we just sing songs, to, you know, because they're nice songs, but um, really reflect and I encourage you to uh, say this to God, not just sing it.
former paralytic from heaven today and bring him right down from the clouds and ask him a second time what would you have wanted Jesus to ask you first I don't think he would say healing 
think he would say, I think Jesus had it right. And I'm really glad. The forgiveness of sins. Can there be a more crucial question and conversation for you to have? Will you stand with me in benediction? God, help us go this week and do whatever it takes, including unroofing the roof to let our friends and our neighbors and our co-workers and our schoolmates right across the board know that forgiveness and forgiveness alone comes through God. Go in peace.